we will need to phase out fossil fuels. But this happens uh, step by step. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 18th of October. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, we'll be looking at whether the European Union has copped out in its prep for this year's big climate summit. First, though, let's kick off by taking a look at the stories making headlines around the world. First up today, hydrogen should not be used to heat homes, according to a top UK government advisor. In what is arguably an extremely obvious bit of advice, the National Infrastructure Commission reports that there is no public policy case for hydrogen to be used to heat individual homes. Instead, the Commission urges the government to accelerate the rollout of heat pumps by covering the entire cost of installation for lower-income homes and offering substantial grants for remaining households. This will require an annual budget of over £3 billion. Hydrogen is the spectre that refuses to stop haunting the heating sector. 47 independent scientific studies currently show that it has no role there whatsoever. Expect that number to hit 50 sometime soon. Australia's third largest pension fund expects to invest up to 1.3 billion US dollars into clean energy projects, notably small-scale solar and battery installations. As part of an initial $200 million deal, the AWARE Superfund, which manages over $100 billion, will add to a growing list of clean energy projects as Australia starts to get serious about decarbonising its grid, finally. In the United States, the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine have concluded in a new report that recent US government climate-focused initiatives, like the Inflation Reduction Act, have put the country on a pathway towards its goal of going net zero by 2050, in what is a significant boost to President Joe Biden's record of achievement. The report issues a series of recommendations to shore up that theoretical route to net zero, which include remedying historical policy decisions from nearly a century ago that overwhelmingly impacted people of colour and their communities. The academies have form in affecting government policy. The first half of this report was actually published in 2021, and much of it was subsequently folded into the IRA and the infrastructure law. Sticking with the US, a new study by personal finance provider WalletHub has ranked all the 50 states by how energy efficient they are. According to the analysis, Utah is the most efficient, followed by Massachusetts and Vermont. The least efficient state is South Carolina, which is joined by West Virginia and Alabama at the bottom of the table. New York, California and Colorado all make up the top 10. Oil prices jumped 2%, Stoked by ongoing tensions and conflict in the Middle East, the price spike was exacerbated by a deadly hospital bombing in Gaza that left hundreds of people dead yesterday. Israel denies responsibility for the attack. US President Joe Biden is in Israel today and was meant to attend a Jordanian-organised summit with Palestinian and Egyptian leaders. However, it has been cancelled at the last minute. The reduced chance of a diplomatic solution 
also contributed to the price rise, say analysts. In Europe, the European Union's 27 member countries finally, after months of trying, agreed on new electricity market rules. The process had been held up by a dispute over contracts for difference, CFDs, as some countries, notably France, wanted to apply the financial instruments to existing power generators, particularly nuclear. Other countries, led by Germany, objected, saying it would distort the EU's energy market. The final compromise, theoretically, allows CFDs to be applied to existing power plants, but the European Commission will be tasked with assessing if it raises competition issues on a case-by-case basis. Both France and Germany left the meeting relatively happy with the outcome, and talks with Parliament and Commission can now begin. That's it for the news. We'll stay in Europe, though, as we dive now into the story of the moment. The European Union is a leader when it comes to climate and energy. Renewable energy rates keep going up, fossil fuel use is going down, and the link between economic growth and emissions has been severed. But a big part of the EU's Green Deal raison d'etre is to convince the rest of the world to sing from the same hymn sheet. As climate sceptics often note, what's the point of Europe decarbonising if the rest of the world doesn't? That is why the COP summits, international climate conferences organised annually by the UN, are oh so important for the EU's green diplomacy. This week, Brussels attempted to agree on its joint position for the 28th edition of COP, which will kick off in Dubai at the end of November. The EU may be going with a weak hand. This week, environment ministers from the 27 member countries got together and were charged with brokering that common position. Two main issues were on the agenda. The first and most controversial was a plan to push for the global phase-out of fossil fuels. The second was a motion to update the EU's 2030 emissions reduction target, currently set at 55%, to 57%. Climate diplomacy is all about soft power, and showing off a shiny new emissions pledge at COP is an effective gambit in that regard. Brussels has a history of either timing the publication of its big climate policies, or rushing to get them signed off, just in time for COP. This is the Olympics for the Union's green diplomats. But that first objective, the push for a global fossil phase-out, was on shaky ground before the Environment Council meeting even began. Here's what Teresa Ribera, Spain's ecological minister, said on her way to the summit. We all know that in order to get a fully decarbonized economy, we will need to phase out fossil fuels. But this happens uh, step by step. So we need to think what first and how we can keep continuing the phase out of fossil fuels while ensuring that affordable and secure energy is available for all. This means that we will have some discussions on how to start and to what extent we talk about fossil fuels or the abatement of the emissions connected to fossil fuels. According to the broad understanding, we need to abate emissions from those sectors hard to abate, not for the electricity generation that can count on other technologies that do not need to go through fossil fuels and then the abatement of its emissions. There's the important buzzword, abatement. Governments flock around it because it's a loophole that can be used to keep burning oil and gas. They will commit to phasing out the easy stuff like power generation and light vehicles, 
but when it comes to heavy industry and transport, they are less keen. This is where carbon capture and storage enters the equation. It's also a matter of national priorities and peculiarities, of course. Here's what Malta's minister, Miriam Dali, had to say. As a country, we are in favour of including unabated fossil fuels, but it has to be for the sectors that are difficult um, to decarbonize. There are two primary issues that we need to discuss um, uh, during this Environmental Council, which we believe are really, really um, important, particularly for smaller member states and particularly for those states that are on the periphery. The EU's new climate chief, Wopke Herkstra, remember him from a previous edition of The Jolt, faced his first test at this meeting after promising members of the European Parliament that he would be a man of action and champion ambitious policies. Here's what he had to say on the issue when asked if he would push for an agreement that did not include unabated. That is what I will strive for. Um, and, and I do think it is important that as Europeans we also seek to, uh, to, to lead the pack uh, going into the COP. Ultimately, the effort failed, of course. A full phase-out is just too big an ask for many countries. We've seen this kind of linguistic contortions infect climate processes before. A previous COP phase out was ditched in favour of phase down. So if you compare the unabated debate with that, progress is slowly being made in a warped kind of way. Um, is it quick enough? It certainly doesn't feel like it. On the second issue, on whether to upgrade the emissions target from 55 to 57%, here's what the new head of the EU Green Deal, Maros Shevchevich, had to say. I think if it comes to our legal obligation, I think it's quite clear that uh, it uh, frames uh, on 55%, uh, but from our internal uh, analysis, uh, we know that we most probably are going to overachieve that, so we are looking at uh, most probably 57% uh, del delivery. So I think that it would be good announcement uh, for COP28, because again, we will clearly demonstrate that uh, Europe and European Union as such is a uh, leader in uh, combating uh, the CO2 emissions and is showing the most ambitions if it comes to tackling climate change. Teresa Ribera, who was leading the discussions because Spain is currently in charge of the council meetings, added this on the 57% issue. This is um, something that should not be controversial. I think that uh, we have gone through a fit for 55 package, which is uh, ambitious, comprehensive, and that we are talking is factual understanding on what this good mean if we uh, add all the elements uh, and we sum up. Again, though, the EU came up short. 57% is essentially what comes out of a mathematical equation that includes all the EU's new policies. The emissions trading system reform, transport decarbonisation targets, a new renewables goal, and so on. Countries agreed to 55% before those were all finalised, so of course the outcome is no different. But governments were again unwilling to formally upgrade the benchmark and instead opted for wording of at least 55%. Not a great signal, let's be honest. To get some reaction to all of this, I spoke with Michael Bloss, a Greens member of the European Parliament, whose work focuses mainly on the EU's climate and energy laws. Um, so how, how important is this unabated issue that we've heard so much about now? Is this kind of a stumbling block or is this a major problem with the EU's attitude now towards COP28? 
It is problematic because this is one of the biggest issues that we will be discussing at the next COP. And this was also discussed in the last COPs. And it's the question of ending fossil fuels. Until now, there was no position that we would end fossil fuels, even though we know the climate crisis is already kicking in. So um, now they're saying about phasing down and phasing out unabated. So if we would want to have some progress, the EU has to go into these negotiations with a progressive position, but now they do not have a progressive position. So how, how will they move the others? Um, so it's really a pity that uh, Hoekstra, the new climate commissioner, promised that he will get rid of this term unabated, but he did not succeed. And how about the 57% the issue, this 2030 target upgrade that was discussed, but ultimately has not been adopted? Is that so important because it's more about implementation? Is it a signal that would have been really great for COP? Do you see it as a real problem that member states weren't able to agree on that? Yeah, this is a real problem as well, because in uh, Glasgow, it was uh, in the in the text of, um, of the um, final outcome, and it called all member states to increase their NDCs till Sharm el Sheikh, and nothing happened. And in Sharm el Sheikh, it was exactly the same again. They were calling all member parties to increase their NDCs until Dubai. And if Europe would have started now, they would have been able to pressure the others and say, look, we did something and you have to go now for it too. But now, again, there's no dynamic. Um, we are not on a Paris-compatible pathway worldwide. We are overshooting a lot. And the only way to do this, uh, to, to go to a Paris-compatible um, um, pathway is, of course, that everyone increases their climate ambition. The EU could have started. Again, Hoekstra um, um, announced this in his hearing that he will fight for it. And again, he crashed and did not succeed. A bad start before COP has even begun then. The summit kicks off 30th of November and runs all the way to the 12th of December. Stick with foresight throughout the summit and after to get all of the essential analysis and insight into what is one of the most important milestones on the energy and climate calendar. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back on Friday with another edition. In the meantime... Check out the latest episode of the Policy Dispatch with Wales' Climate Minister, which is now online. Also keep your eyes peeled for our next in-depth article. This one looks at how North American cities are taking on their transport challenges. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping make the job possible. And shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt. Thank you.